We're going to take a little bit of a pause from our regular series in the book of Acts. We're going to be in the book of Acts, but we're going to kind of rewind the tape a bit, go back to an earlier passage, because today is Membership Sunday, and tonight's our family meeting as a church, and so it's appropriate to take some time today to, to look at what, what it means to be a church, what it means to be a member of a church, what it means to be called to be a local church in the Lord. And there's a lot of places we could go in Scripture to learn about that. And uh, in no way am I attempting to give a comprehensive message on everything uh, that pertains to being a church and a member of a church. But we're going to look at some key aspects and one particular section of Scripture that is really a riveting depiction of a local church is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. The picture painted in this little section of Scripture that we've touched on before is a compelling picture of what the New Testament church was like and really what any church is to look like. So let's pray and ask God to teach us from this section of Scripture that we might be inspired from Him and instructed and refreshed and renewed in what it means to be a member of a church, what it means to be a church. So let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Acts chapter 2 and verses 41 to 47. And Lord, I just think of all the things that You have done through the ages, through this section of Scripture, how many churches, how many movements have been inspired by this little picture that is so captivating. And I ask you today, as we look at this section of Scripture, would you yourself, O oh God, would you yourself speak to us? Lord, we are unworthy to receive your word and to hear from you. Um, but Lord, we thank you for Christ and your forgiveness we have in Christ and your love for us in Christ and your desire to speak to us and to shape us and to lead us in your way. So, so God, would you speak? Would you, would you use me, Lord? Ah, Lord, I don't want to get in the way. I want to serve you. So, Lord, use me to serve your people and to, to be a, a means, a vessel of you speaking and instructing and encouraging and directing. May you get all the glory. May, we, may our confidence and our faith be in you. We thank you so much. For all this, and we pray you be glorified through it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This particular passage is a little picture of the early church. Uh, I believe it's about nine times throughout the book of Acts. Luke gives us these little pictures, and they're little vignettes, little little views of the, the early church, and they're often given as a summary of what was going on, so that that we can read all the action that's happening and then really have a picture from Luke of what that action's producing, what the fruit is. And so this is one of the nine, and, and they're all actually excellent little pictures of the New Testament church. But this one is the one I believe God would want to speak to us through this morning. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41 and going to verse 47. Peter has just preached the first message, really, of the early church on the day of Pentecost. And it says in verse 41, So those who received 
his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking their bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 2, 41-47. That's an action-packed seven verses right there, full of a lot. And you see Luke's use of and, and it's almost that Luke is excited to, to tell more and more, and then this, and this, and this is going on. And this section of Scripture, uh, perhaps in your Bible, you have it set apart as 42 to 47 as a separate paragraph. And you might wonder, well, why did you put 41 in there? And the reason I put 41 in there is because, well, first off, there were no paragraph divisions in the original word, that's an attempt to help package things appropriately. Uh, and Luke, I believe, intends it to fit together. He starts in, in verse 41 saying, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And, and he's saying that in line with Peter's preaching. He says, So, but then he says in verse 32, And They devoted themselves. When he says so and and, he's actually tying those two things together. They really should go together. He he wants us to see that these two things fit together. That the the new church is responding to the word. Uh, They hear the word from Peter. They respond. They're baptized. They're added. And as a result, these things follow through. And they fully devote themselves to these key elements of a church. The the title of the message is Fully Devoted. And and the point I think Luke is making, he's, he's giving us a picture of the fruit of the gospel, but he's making a point about the life of the church. And what we can learn from this section is that a church that is alive is a fully devoted church. Church, a church that is alive, a church that has experienced vital life in the Lord is a church where people are fully devoted, where the grace of the gospel, the goodness of God in Christ, the truth of the gospel and all that it means has so impacted people's lives that there is this full devotion to the things of God. They're fully devoted and and then we see this wonderful fruit that follows, that God is working in power in their midst. The apostles are performing signs and wonders. The people are freely giving of their goods to care for the needs of one another. They're meeting together in the temple and in homes. They're, 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 they're celebrating with glad and generous hearts. They're, they're praising God and enjoying favor with others. And as all this is going on, God is so blessing and using them that, that day by day, People are being added to this local church, to their number. And so the the bottom line teaching here is that healthy, vital churches are fully devoted churches. So let's take some time to look at that. Let's look at what they're devoted to, what they are devoted to, and then we'll take some time 
and looking at the fruit of that devotion. Um, so first off, just looking at verses 41 and 42, a key point is that that decisions, genuine decisions for Christ by His grace result in devotion. And Luke makes that point by tying really 41 and 42 together, as I said, that these things go together to, to receive the Word and respond to it in faith and, and be brought into relationship with Christ, with God through Christ. To, to respond to the Word results in devotion to the church. The, this connection is there, and it's a connection, sadly, that, that in our society, in the West and, and in the 21st century, we sometimes sever that connection that is there in Scripture. And we think to, be, to respond to the Word, to be saved from our sins, to respond to the Gospel and come to Christ and be baptized is, is the key thing. And then we don't know that, or we don't acknowledge that the full devotion to a local church follows that and flows from that. And so we connect, we disconnect the two, but Luke doesn't do that. He says, so they responded and they devoted themselves. Maybe another way to rephrase that or to retranslate it is uh, saying, so indeed those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And moreover, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Those words in the original language carry a little more meaning than our simple so and and. They mean, so indeed, this went on, and moreover, this went on. That this goes with that. That that being rescued from our sin and, and brought into a relationship with Christ goes with being fully devoted to a local church. That connection is there, and the connection is throughout the entire New Testament as well. There's, there's no division, really, between being added to Christ and added to a local church in the New Testament. Now, I, I recognize in saying this that, that the question uh, that comes up is, well, of course you're going to say that. You're a pastor and you work for a local church and you want to get people in your local church so it can work. And yeah, that's true. But the reality, the bottom line here is I'm not necessarily interested in you being part of this local church, though that would be wonderful. The point is that we are to be part of a local church. We are to recognize that Christianity coming to Christ means being added to a local church. And I have to say that regardless of whether I would have any mixed motives or not, because the scriptures say it. And, and to, to help you perhaps believe that it's not a selfish interest, I would be delighted if you were added to another good local church besides ours. For those of you who have talked with me, I think you, you know that. And, I, and, and I'm so glad that that's the heart of our church as well. We recognize we are one among many. And there are many good churches out there. We're not asking you to, to look at our church as the local church, but as one of many. And the point is that to belong to Christ means that we must be fully devoted to a local church, and we can't separate that. Sadly, our, our culture wants to do that. There, there's just so much out there. Recently, um, some work, a book was done by George Barner. I think we have a quote from this. Where George Barner is talking, he says, we're in the midst of a spiritual revolution that is reshaping Christianity, personal faith, corporate religious experience, and the moral contours of the nation by revolutionaries, and that's the title of the book, who live a first-century lifestyle based on faith, goodness, love, generosity, kindness, and simplicity. Well, that all sounds good, 
But his story has more. It says, and who zealously pursue an intimate relationship with God. This new movement entails drawing people away from reliance upon a local church into a deeper connection with and reliance upon God. He says, already millions of believers have stopped going to church. So he expects that in 20 years, only about one-third of the population will, will rely upon sorry, a local congregation as the primary or exclusive means for experiencing, expressing their faith. He says that's only a congregational format of ministry. One of the many ways to develop and live a faith-centered life. We made it up. Contrast what George Barna says in his book with Acts 2 and the picture we have of this beautiful, glorious local church that is full of people who respond to the word and see the automatic connection with full devotion to a local church and who would, if, if they ever read George Barnard's stuff, would be shocked to think that any Christian would ever propose such an idea. This picture in Acts 2 is a beautiful picture. And one thing I recognize as a pastor that for many of us, we end up thinking like George Barna and the revolutionaries because something has happened along the way to us in the local church. We perhaps have been in a local church that did not look like Acts 2, and we were burned. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden Acts 2 is no longer true. That all of a sudden God has plan B, which is to be a lone Christian somewhere. That's not what that means. This truth stands regardless. This truth stands regardless of the condition of any church that you might know. This is God's standard. This is what God wants to do. This is what God forms. And and perhaps you have been burned in a church. And and churches are full of sinful people, imperfect people. And, and, And when we join a church, we bring another imperfect person to it. But there is somebody behind all that and above all that and bigger than all that who's working his purposes in local churches through sinners. And this book, when a church commits itself to walk according to this book, you get the sort of picture we see in Acts 2. Yes, there's ups and downs, there's struggles and stuff, but the, the picture here remains. So my prayer has been, as I prepare this and today, if you are one of those people that God himself would speak to you and refresh your faith in him and his ability to make his church beautiful, as we see here. That we would not divest ourselves of the local church. And sadly, in New England, it is particularly true that Christians think this way often. When we had first moved back to the area, I asked a a pastor who had been here for years, uh, who used to live in another state in a different part of the country, what did he thought about churches in New England and Christians in New England and, and just what his experience has been like? And he said, you know, there's a huge difference, actually, from when I was in my home state to here. And, and I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying in this. I'll qualify it as we go. But, but he said, when we had an event as a church back, in, back home where we we're from, everyone would be there. Everyone would, from the church would be there. Uh, and, and they'd be glad to be there. And when we have an event now, and he had been here a number of years, when we have something, people see the church really as just another thing on the schedule. There's the church, there's the YMCA, there's my kids' uh, soccer league, there's my favorite TV series. They're all just kind of on the same level. And so the church has to compete with these other things. And, and I, would, I would 
submit to you that that's not what's going on in Acts 2. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a place for those other things and, and only do things with the church. I'm not saying that. That's what I'm not saying. But they're not on par. The people in Acts 2, they, they, they were not looking at the local church and thinking, well, I've got the YMJA to go to as well, and that local theater you know, that they're going to have, and the Young Gladiator Club is meeting, I need to get my kids there, you know, and, and yeah, maybe I'll do some stuff with the local church here as well. They're not thinking that. They are so affected by the wonder of the gospel and God's plan in and through their lives that they fully devote themselves to these things. And I don't want to compel you by merely the negative, what we shouldn't be doing. I want us to be compelled by the positive. When we read this section of Scripture in Acts 2, I want us to be ruined for anything else. I want us to be ruined for anything else. And yeah, sure, we'll enjoy soccer and we'll enjoy a TV series perhaps, but it just will not compare to God's people doing God's work with God's presence among them according to God's truth, that it would not compete at all. And there would be no question in any of our minds. A decision for Christ must result in devotion to Christ's church. And they are devoted to the right things here in this section of Scripture. They're devoted to the right things. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. There are four things that they are devoted to. And I think these four things are, are to be templates and clues for us about the sort of things that we are to be devoted to. First off, they are devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles are teaching about Christ and about the gospel. They are teaching. And there's probably a lot of things that they'd have to say. Can you imagine being around there? Imagine having one of the apostles, one of the twelve, as your, as your adult Sunday school teacher and sitting there and hearing about the truth and hearing, I mean, I just, I read Luke, Luke 24, where Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, and he begins with Moses, and he talks about how he's revealed throughout Scripture, and the people's, their hearts burn as they listen. Those same folks and the apostles would be teaching those same sort of things, and can you imagine what it would have been like to be with, around them and hear their teaching, and their, their hearts burning, your heart burning? Well, this book is essentially the the apostles' teaching. The New Testament is essentially what they taught. It's the truth. It's the things that we need to know. And at the core of it is the revelation of Jesus Christ and all that that means. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was at the, the front of the list of the four things. And, and, and no wonder that all those other things followed. When we devote ourselves to the gospel, Christ Jesus crucified Christ Jesus fulfilling Scripture. Christ Jesus obeying God, being the perfect Jew who, who fulfilled God's law and obedience to the point of death on a cross. Christ Jesus who, in dying on the cross, shed His blood and paid for the sins of His people so that they may be totally forgiven and accepted. Christ Jesus who was raised from the dead on the third day, approved by God, victorious over sin and death. Christ Jesus who ascended to the right hand of the Father and is reigning over all things right now to accomplish His purposes in and through His church. Christ Jesus who is returning soon to consummate the kingdom, to finish it and to reward those who have trusted Him and walked in His ways and to judge all men, those that have rejected Him and sinned against God. 
to reward them with judgment. This Christ Jesus, this story, they devoted themselves to it. They didn't say, you know, been there, done that, the gospel thing, we're moving on to other things. They devoted themselves to the gospel. And if you read through the New Testament, you'll see the apostles teach again and again about many things. Really, really, there's truth in God's Word for us for all aspects of life. There's truth that, that is meant to bear on everything we do. It doesn't tell us how to change the oil, but it does tell us how to change the oil in our car. It tells us, it teaches us about faith and dependence. It teaches us that we're sinners and we need a Savior. It teaches us that He's our King and He calls us to walk with Him. So when we change our oil, instead of, of going under the car and, and getting all angry, stupid, who put this last oil filter on this jerk and everything, and doing that, we can, because of the Gospel, it doesn't tell us, you know, to use this size oil filter and these many quarts, but it does tell us about Christ and how that comes to bear. So now when I go to take that that oil filter off and it won't come off. I'm not cursing Jiffy Lube. I'm asking God, Lord, would you help me? Would you help me turn this thing and have it be worshipped to you? And if I can't get it off, I'll go buy the tool. Or maybe you're teaching me about humility, that maybe I shouldn't be thinking I can do everything, but be willing to take the car to Jiffy Lube and let that other guy do it. There's, there's all sorts of things the gospel comes to bear on like that. And I could, we could spend hours and hours... And if you read through the New Testament, that's what the apostles do. There are specific churches with specific needs, specific areas they need to grow in, specific things they're struggling with. And what do the apostles do in the Scriptures again and again? They say, here's Jesus in the Gospel and all that that means, and let's apply it here and do this as a result. Believe God for this, do this. And again and again, we've spent time going through some of the epistles. We went through 1 Corinthians some years ago. We're planning to go through Philippians coming up next year. And you're going to see that's what Paul does. Philippians is a masterful letter where Paul is seeking to address unity issues. And what he does through that letter is he takes the truth of the gospel, how it's affected his life and others, and says, okay, guys, in light of this truth, walk together in unity and love. So the gospel, the the apostles' teaching has uh, bearing on every aspect of life, every single thing, and they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching to the gospel and all that it means. And that is our goal as a church. Eight years ago when we went to plant this church, along with our team, um, I spoke in front of a conference and shared about this. And If you can put that up, I won't read through it. But I shared with the folks how, how the gospel and this idea of gospel centrality had affected my life and my family's life. There was a time as a believer where I thought the gospel was just one truth among many. That other aspects of Christianity were on equal footing with the centrality of Christ. So missions, evangelism, the gifts of the Spirit, all important things were on par with the centrality of Christ. And and you came to Christ through the gospel, but then you moved on to these other things. And and what I had experienced as a believer, as, as I had that view, as we had that view as a family, it just seemed that we went from one thing to the next, and we never quite knew where the center was. And I don't know if you've experienced this, if you've been in a church that puts a high emphasis on one thing without the gospel being central. But what happens is after you do that for a while, you start to feel battle weary. 
I've tried that. We did the mission thing. We did the gifts of the Spirit. And the, the, we, did the, we did the evangelism thing. And all those things are good. But without that center, without theology being centered on Christ, it makes you feel adrift. And, and, and for Peg and for me and for us as a family, it has made such a difference to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to keep the gospel at the center and to see things fall in place. And I thank God that he's brought us together with a church family that has that same understanding, that same devotion. And I'm so grateful that now God's adding people to us and they're coming in and they're seeing that and they're experiencing life. They're being changed and used for God's glory. The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It says next that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Uh, Actually, in each word here, it says the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. And, And I think what Luke is saying is that they didn't just devote themselves to fellowship, and fellowship would be uh, coming together in the Lord, sharing the sharing together, being uh, committed to one another in community, and with a, with a goal in mind as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a living partnership together. But it's the fellowship. It's the fellowship. And, and what Luke is saying, it, it's not just the idea of fellowship, but it's the fellowship, which is the church. They devoted themselves to the church. They devoted themselves to regular, active participation in the local church, its life, its teachings, its people, its mission. They were devoted to the fellowship, to the church, and giving themselves wholly to the local church. They understood that. Jerry Bridges says that those first Christians of Acts 2 were not devoting themselves to social activities, but to a relationship. Through their union with Christ, they were formed into a spiritual, organic community. We must grasp the idea that fellowship means belonging to one another in the body of Christ with all the privileges and responsibilities that such a relationship entails. To be part of the body is to be part of Christ's body, to be devoted to one another, and we are called to this. We are to devote ourselves to the fellowship. And it's hard for us as Americans. Americans probably be the most Western of the Westerners, and we tend to be very independent-minded. But this is not what Scripture calls us to. Scripture calls us to be devoted to the fellowship, to think of ourselves in light of our local church. Now, we are not incapable of thinking corporately. I know that. At least I, I, I know that. I see it in you. I see it in my own life. And I, I, I think corporately. I, I think of my own family. Uh, we have four children. Uh, there's six of us told my Peg and I are four children. And without ever practicing it, I just think corporately about my family. Uh, when I, I guess as a dad, which just is natural, it's the grace of God, I think about my family and I think about everything in light of my family. I don't think about myself with, apart from my family. So my family's joys are my joys. My family's tragedies are my tragedies. Uh, we, we went to Six Flags uh, past Monday. There weren't any tragedies at Six Flags, just in case you're worried. Um, and we, we went there, and, uh, and that whole experience was a corporate experience for me. I, I was sad. My son John wasn't able to go. So part of the day was shaped by that, wishing he had been here and thinking, oh, he would enjoy this. And also part of the day was uh, enjoying time with my kids. I, I, uh, I rode three roller coasters. The, the park is packed with roller coasters. And... Um, 
And the, the thing I enjoyed most about the roller coasters was not me riding the roller coaster. It was my kids riding the roller coaster and, and watching them enjoy it and coming off the ride. And, and I'm a little older now. I can't take that many roller coasters as, as I used to do. I, I did, uh, if you know, Superman or Bizarro, I did that. And uh, that, was, that was amazing. That's another story. Uh, it it's, goes up like 200-plus feet, and then it drops almost straight down. When you're up the top, you can't see the rest of the roller coaster because it's so steep and goes down and turns. And, and I had fun. I enjoyed it personally, but I enjoyed my kids enjoying it more. And, and I find that true with so much of life. And the same thing in marriage. I think corporately. I think we who are in families think corporately. But the ultimate family is the church. The ultimate family is the church. As important as families are, the ultimate family is the church. And long after the children are grown up and starting their own families, long after the name Buckley fades from anyone's knowledge, there is a family that will endure, the family of families, the family of God. And we must think corporately about the family of God like we think about our own family. And that its joys should be our joys. Its sorrows should be our sorrows. We should pray for and and our hearts should beat for the prosperity and blessing of our local church because God has called us to this local church, to the fellowship. The early church devoted themselves to the fellowship. It says next that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now this particular phrase is debated, not clearly understood. Um, what does it mean, the breaking of bread? Um, and there are those who look at that and say, well, this is definitely communion. They are taking the juice or the wine and the little, little wafer, and that's what it's talking about. And there are others who say, well, it, it just means they shared meals together. I'm going to try to give you my best understanding of what this means. When Luke uses this phrase, and often if you want to understand something, look at the rest of the context of that writer, look at the rest of the Bible. When he uses that phrase, most of the time he means just a normal meal. There are a couple times when he means communion. There's one difference here. He says it's the breaking of bread. And he puts it alongside of things like uh, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the prayers, the breaking of bread. So I think he means more than just having a meal together. What he means is a special meal together. And whether they had juice and a little wafer at that point or not, uh, we don't know for sure. Most likely they were celebrating it like a Passover meal. It was a communal meal they had together, a regular communal meal where they remembered Christ. And they devoted themselves to this communion together. That was more than just the core of communion that we celebrate, but it was the whole meal. And what I think Luke is doing there is he's trying to communicate that these folks were, de- were devoted to the active life of God's people. And communion is a picture of that. Communion is called communion because we are communing with God in Christ and we're communing together. Communion is never to be a solitary affair. You don't take communion, real communion, by yourself. It wouldn't be appropriate. Communion is taken corporately, together. And it's a picture, sacramentally, of the life of the church, that we are joined together as his people. We share in Christ together. We commune with God. In Christ, we commune together. And Luke is saying these guys understood that they were called to an active, ongoing, Christ-centered relationship with the church. And so they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. And they did it, and they did it, they did it 
at different times, probably in the temple, probably in homes. They shared the breaking of the bread. They were devoted to fellowship together. They were devoted to the life of Christ in their midst. I know uh, I so enjoy communion Sundays. We celebrate twice a month. And I think I would be representing you and us as a church to say that they are special times. And there's something holy about that. By faith, the Lord meets us through the celebration of communion. And He's present with us. And I don't know about you. I think your experience is the same. I'm just, pretty much every time we celebrate communion, I'm just touched by the Lord. I'm refreshed. I'm I'm joyous. And it's a glorious thing. The church joined together in Christ should be a glorious thing in our eyes. And we should think about coming together the way we think about the most glorious things in life. There's, there's, there's The most glorious thing is God Himself. But with that is His glorious, beautiful church. And she is beautiful in God's eyes. Revelation 21, the bride comes down. The bride comes dressed and made beautiful. To God. The church is beautiful in God's eyes. He loves His church. The church is glorious to Him and precious to Him. It should be and must be precious to us. If we know the Lord, if we have the truths of Scripture affecting us, we should look at the church as beautiful and glorious. Psalm 16, 2 and 3, the psalmist says, I say to you, the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And right after that says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. In whom is all my delight. Lord, I don't have any good apart from you. And as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. In whom is all my delight. I love your people, Lord. Jesus says to Peter when he restores him at the end, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. And what does he say? Feed my sheep. If you love me, Peter, love my people. If you want to express your devotion and fidelity to me, then express it in devotion and fidelity to my people. Love my lambs. Love my sheep. This is God's heart. It's to be our heart. And there really is, in my opinion, no better place on earth to be than here with King of Grace on a Sunday morning. To be in His presence, to be with His precious people. In God's eyes, this is a room full of the rich and famous. This is a room full of the beautiful people. That's what God thinks. When God looks at the earth and He sees His people gathered in His name, different local churches, that's what He thinks. This, these are the beautiful people to me. This, this is the church I love. I love the hymn by Timothy Dwight. He says, it's called, I love thy kingdom, O Lord. I love thy kingdom, Lord, the house of thine abode. The church, the church are, sorry, the church our blessed Redeemer saved with his own precious blood. I love thy church, O God, her walls before they stand, dear as the apple of thine eye engraven on thy hand. 
For her my tears shall fall. For her my prayers ascend. To her my cares and toils be given till toils and cares shall end. Beyond my highest joys I prize her heavenly ways. Her sweet communion, solemn vows, her hymns of love and praise. Timothy Dwight loved the church. Acts 2, the church in Jerusalem, love the church. We are to love the church. She is beautiful. And there's nothing more glorious than people gathered in Christ's name, walking with Him, shining His glory. There's nothing better. There's no better place to be. The church also devoted themselves to prayer, to the prayers. It says, they devoted themselves to the prayers, and this was more than just praying uh, as a part of life, which we are to do. They, they, it was about speaking of, when it says the prayers, it would mean corporate prayers, gathering together in the temple for the prayers together, seeking the Lord together, gathering in homes for prayers, the prayers together. And a church that is a praying church is a church that is a vital church. And I would say a church that is a weak church most likely is not a praying church. This church was devoted to the prayers. And I'm so glad for us that, that this is a church that I believe is a praying church, devoted to prayers. I love to pray with the church. I love to pray on Sunday mornings before we worship together. I love to pray in small groups. One thing we're going to talk about tonight is other ways to gather to pray. We, we need to be together to pray. And so one idea we'll talk about is, is the idea of once a month having a time for extended worship and prayer together to meet the Lord once a month together, to seek Him together, and then to have some teaching uh, following that as well. More, Stay tuned for more tonight. They prayed. They devoted themselves to the prayer. And then look at the fruits. Look at the fruit. Look at what follows in the following verses. What, what, a, what a wonderful picture. They, the, it says, and awe came upon every soul. There was this sense of God's presence and awe and anticipation. God is here in our midst. Something's happening. This is wonderful. God's at work. He's in our midst. He's changing us. He's using us. He, he's working in power. It says the apostles uh, did through their, their hands many wonders and signs were done. God was using them in power to do signs and wonders, testifying to Christ. All who were believed were together and had all things in common. There was, the gospel had so affected them and their devotion to these things had so produced fruit that they were freely giving their goods to care for the needs of others. They, they, were, they were freely giving to, to make sure that no one had a need, a serious need that was unmet. It flowed from what was happening. Day by day, attending the temple together. They were devoted to meeting together in the temple. Attending can also be interpreted as devoting themselves together with one heart to meet in the temple, to break bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. This is a church that's experiencing revival. There's life there. There's fruit. There's a sense of awe. God's at work. They're loving being together. And then God is blessing them. They, uh, they are praising God and they're having favor with all the people. God is blessing them amidst all the people. And then it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. God is adding to their number day by day. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine experiencing this as a church? This, the sense of awe, God doing wonders, God healing people, God saving the lost. 
sharing things together freely. We, we, don't, we don't make it compulsory that you sell and give to people, but imagine just being on fire and watching God's people give and give more than watching God bless people with joy and then adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. Now, we've seen God add year by year those being saved, and we're glad for that. But can you imagine it being month by month? Having baptisms every month instead of every year? Can you imagine it being week by week? What that would be like? Imagine what Sundays would be like each Sunday. Okay, who who are the newest folks who have come to Christ? Imagine day by day watching people come to Christ. That's what's going on here. Unless we think that, well, yeah, that's unusual and, you know, we shouldn't expect that. Normal Christian life is year by year or maybe, you know, every decade we get a new person in here. Um, The Scriptures don't give us that picture. Yeah, there can be seasons. But the Scriptures don't give us that picture and neither does history. When God's people are so affected by the gospel and devoted to these things, fruit follows. Fruit follows. And, and I just read about another revival recently that I didn't know about in 1970. Has anyone heard about the revival at Asbury College in 1970? There was one in 1950. There was one in 1970. And it was just this time they had together. They met for regular chapel. And, boy, sometimes chapel can be like the driest place on earth to go. They met together for chapel, and the, and the guy shared his testimony. And God just did something. He visited them. People started coming up and confessing sin and sharing what was going on in their lives. And, and the Spirit of God just poured out and there was just this repentance and fresh faith. And this chapel meeting that was supposed to be 50 minutes lasted 185 hours, nonstop, 24 hours a day. And it, it continued for weeks. And then the group there, the, those that were affected, went other places. And the same sort of thing happened. A, a church in Indiana, uh, they... Some Asbury students went there, gave their testimonies, and and God worked, and they had meetings for 50 consecutive nights. And there were 2,500 people coming to experience the presence of God. There was that sense of awe. And if you read the history of the revivals, that is what goes on in revivals. That's what God wants for His church. It's not... There certainly are seasons, but, but God wants us to, to look at Acts 2 and say, this is what it's supposed to look like. Devoted to the apostles' teaching, responding to the gospel, devoted to the local church, experiencing fruit in these ways. This is the picture that we're to operate from. This is what it means to be part of a local church, to walk in these key elements, to see the fruit that God brings. If the band could come up as we close. As we close, I just want you to think in light of these things that the biggest thing I want to be able to do by God's grace is to look at this picture and to have fresh inspiration for us. To put aside, put aside the kind of been there, done that, or whatever, normal church life is kind of boring, to put that aside, or to put aside that, you know, I've been burned, churches are bad places. To put that aside and to be freshly inspired by this picture, to be compelled by this picture, and to be convinced by this picture, not by me, but by God Himself, who's given us His Word. That's what I want most of all for us today. But there might be specific things that God's calling you to in that. There might be a false belief you're holding on to. 
There might be bitterness that you're holding on to. There might be another priority in your life that you're holding on to. Maybe that TV series is more important to you than the local church. And if God is speaking that to you, I want to give you time just to respond. And it's not going to finish today. This sort of thing is, God, is the thing that God wants to work in our lives and re-dig re- the field to renew us in these things and lead, them in, lead us in them. So as the band just plays instrumentally, let's just go before the Lord and ask Him for fresh faith, conviction, and a way to walk forward in Him, relying on His grace. I'll pray and then we'll just take some time. Lord, we thank You for this picture in Acts 2. How beautiful it is, God. And we long for this, Lord. And Lord, you have given us so much as a local church, Lord. I'm so grateful for it. It's undeserved. We want more. We want more of you and more of your ways. We want more of your priorities. So I pray, Holy Spirit, come and bring conviction and fresh faith and lead us forward. We would see this picture be ruined for anything else. And that you would be glorified through this local church. Let's just seek the Lord for a minute or so, and we'll close.